Welcome to our next episode of the Svas Emes podcast. My name is Rabbi Yona Bookstein. Our learning will be informed by the work of Rabbi Nassan Chaim Leff and his Emes Ve'emuna book, in addition to other commentaries. We hope you enjoy the class. Send a link to everybody. Thank you. Okay. I'll send a link. You'll have the thing. Okay. I think we are now uh, live. And we are learning today. Lalis uh, Neshama, the... Uh, today's the art site of Reb Shlomo Karlobach. It's today's the art site of Reb Shlomo Karlobach. It's also the uh, I'm just learning how to get this all done here. Apologies. Sometimes I get this uh, little mixed up. Okay, there we go. So um, let's get right to the Torah. Um, I, I mentioned it a little bit last night. I just want to get a little bit more deeper into it. So one of the craziest uh, things that uh, about this week's Parsha, which talks about um, uh, the, the destruction of Sodom and that Avram Avinu prayed for Sodom. So we all know that uh, these three angels come to visit Avram and they tell him, that stone is going to be destroyed. Um, and Avram Avinu wakes up in the morning and he prays uh, right after this visit. He says, maybe there's uh, uh, some righteous people in Sodom, right? Are you going to destroy the righteous with the good? And Rav Tzedekah Cohen points out that this is the first time in the Torah that we find anybody praying. And we have a cloud, we have a general principle in the Torah that the first time something is mentioned in the Torah, uh, as Shlomo would call it, that's the headquarters of that idea. So the headquarters of prayer in the Torah is Avram Avinu, is Abraham praying for Sodom. Uh, and why was he praying for Sodom? And why was he praying so hard for Sodom? Um, so the Reb Tzadik Cohen uh, uh, mentions uh, that uh, Avram saw prophetically that uh, behind all the evil in Sodom, Matzatzi David Avdi, the Midrash Rabbah, uh, you, you can look up, which says, which it says, I found my servant David, i.e. King David, and the Midrash says, Hecha Matzatzi, where did, where did I, uh, I find him? I found him in Sodom. So let's remind ourselves that Sdom, um, Lot, who is in Sdom, his offspring was Ruth, uh, who was a great granddaughter, and uh, David Hamelech, King David, was a direct descendant of of Ruth. Ruth, the famous story of the righteous convert. And ultimately, the redemption of the world depended on this one prayer 
uh, that Avram Avinu did, right? Because of Avram's prayer, uh, Lot uh, 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 was saved. But it's a very crazy idea. Why was Avram praying for the worst place in the world? Now, one of the things about Sodom, there's a, a famous Midrash which says that uh, this uh, young woman was put to death for feeding a, uh, a poor person. But there's more to the story. Uh, it, it's even worse than that. Um, you see, one of the things they would do in Sodom uh, is that uh, people to the to this town who were, if anybody poor came to town, uh, people would give them uh, kind of like uh, tokens. Oh, here, you use this to buy some some food. And the person would get all excited that, oh, they're, they're going to sell. But the stores wouldn't sell uh, 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 for that uh, uh, currency, right? So people would give them a, 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 uh, a coin. Uh, the person would think that they're going to now be able to buy food. They would go to the, to the market. The, they said, we don't accept those coins. And then the person would, um, uh, would, would starve and uh, they would die unless they could find a way out of the town. And this young woman had uh, Rahmanis on this one guy, and she was uh, sneaking him water and food at night. And, uh, and the townspeople saw that this poor guy was still alive. Why isn't he dead? Uh, so they did a little bit of a sting operation. And they discovered that this young woman was sneaking food and water to this guy at night. And uh, they took her and they, uh, it says they put her on a rooftop. Uh, they tied her up on a rooftop and smothered her honey. And she died from uh, stings, from uh, bees, wasps, uh, a horrible death. Uh, it turns out that the, who was this young woman? She was the uh, daughter of Lot, uh, a 12-year-old daughter of Lot. So how could Avram pray for such a city? Uh, these people are, uh, are evil. They're terrible. Uh, so what it means is that behind all the evil, behind all the terrible things uh, that were going on, uh, Avram Avinu, Abraham, saw that behind all of this, something holy is happening. Uh, so this, this Matsatsi David Avdi is found in the Gemara, uh, right, in the Midrash. And uh, to continue a little bit of, of Reb Shlomo, uh, who's riffing on this Torah of Reb Sadok HaKohen, of Lublin. Um, and he says, you know, to tell somebody facts, you don't have to be very close to a person. But to tell somebody a story, you have to be very close. Until the Baal Shem Tov came to the world, the most, uh, 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 even among Jews, the most important thing was telling good words, holy words between one and another. And, and the Baal Shem Tov brought down a light uh, uh, to the world. And one of the signs that this is the light of Mashiach, that this is such a holy thing, is because the Baal Shem Tov got people to tell stories again to one another, not just words. Uh, children are holy and pure. What do we tell children? We tell them stories. 
Um, all child wants to do is hear a good story, all right? And you can tell the child the story over and over again, and they will never tire of the story. Uh, and that's one of the things that's so special about children. When you tell them a good story, uh, the minute that you're, you're, you're not even done yet, can you hear it again? Can I hear it again? We, quote unquote, older people, right? Uh, we're, we're lost. Uh, when we hear a story once, we think we know the whole story. Um, who's talking about knowing? A story is not the question of if you know it or not. It's a story. It's so holy. So Rip Shlomo says that one of the signs that these are the, the this is the era uh, which precedes uh, the messianic time is because with an age of stories once more and something happening in the world that storytelling is a big thing. Uh, and actually, uh, for all the, uh, uh, and this is a, my, my co comment on, on Rev Flomo's comment, for all the uh, uh, criticism of, of, of Los Angeles and the entertainment industry, one of, we have to remind ourselves though that this is the most unbelievable place for telling stories. Uh, 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 today, so many stories are being told. Yes, some things are, are not great uh, about it, but many, many things are wonderful about the creativity of storytelling um, and the messages uh, and the, that, that can be given over this way, right? Okay, back, back to Rib Shlomo. So, um, this is a story in Bobov from the Bobov Rebbe, who heard it from his father. Um, and the Bubba Varebi said that the Tanser, the Divrei Chaim, would tell this story many times, right? It, it wasn't that he just told it once. Now, if any of you ever had the, the great merit of learning with Reb Shlomo, you'd, know, you'd remember that Shlomo would tell over stories multiple times, right? You, you'd hear, hear the story this time, you'd hear it another time. And nobody ever said to Shlomo, oh, Shlomo, you already told that story. Uh, because every time Shlomo told of a story, first of all, you, you heard the story in a different way. And every time it opened your heart, uh, uh, which is, the, which is the, the job of the story. So um, check out this great story of Reb Moshe uh, Pshivisker. There was this holy Jew, and all he wanted to do was sit and study Torah but he also needed to earn a living and he had a wife and he had children. And uh, so he needed a job. So he starts looking around for a job and he was told that there's a whiskey factory of all things in Poland and they need a manager. Now he had no idea how to make whiskey, but uh, he thought to himself, who cares? A manager, he'll manage. He doesn't have to know how to do anything. So he goes to the owner and he says, I want you to know, I am a, an incredible whiskey manager. I, I, I've managed the best whiskey places. And uh, um, I'll take uh, uh, I'll take you for so the manager unbelievable says you know what okay I'll give you a job I'll give you a job here take, try this for a month and let's see how you do and we'll after a month we'll uh, we'll figure out how things are going so this Reb Moshe he he moves into the office of the manager uh, he brings his talis and his tefillin and a few good svarim uh, some holy books and he locks the door. And he starts to daven and learn, okay? Uh, one day, there's a knock at the door, 
and they have a problem with the with one of the distilling machines. And, and he's got no idea. He says, um, tell me, you know, uh, what did the last manager do? And they told him. So Ramosha says to the foreman, you know what, do the same thing until I get more familiar with everything here, you know? So basically, anybody who comes and knocks on the door of, the, of Reb Moshe, asks him what to do, and he says, do the same thing like the last manager did. And as I'm learning and get more familiar with the place, uh, I'll, 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 you know, I'll make some different suggestions. But you know what? You know what? Uh, uh, do you think that Moshe, now do you think he's taking money for nothing? Uh, no. From the moment when he moved into the factory, the sales of this whiskey started skyrocketing uh, uh, because all of a sudden the whiskey, people were saying, wow, you know what? This whiskey's gotten much, much better. And, and the, the, the customers are lining up and, and the whiskey's uh, are selling out. And the owner of the whiskey factory comes to Moshe, who, who Mamish has done nothing. And he says, you are the greatest manager we've ever had. I don't know what you're doing with the whiskey. It's not the same whiskey. I'm getting orders from all over Poland. <clears throat> we can't keep up with the demand for whiskey. And in the meantime, you know, Moshe knows nothing about whiskey uh, uh, making. But whenever somebody comes in, do the same thing as we did yesterday, do what the manager did, and he sits and learns Torah the whole time. So the owner of the factory was, was Jewish, and uh, he, he's, uh, he respected Moshe, and he says, could I invite you uh to my house for malava malka and uh, uh um you know every every few weeks he's inviting him inviting him you know and um finally uh uh, uh you know uh, nothing's happening you know and uh uh, uh reb moisha doesn't show up he keeps inviting him and reb moisha doesn't show up for malava malka so the owner knows um, that uh, um, he was supposed to come. So he's a little bit worried. And he goes to Ramoisha's house. Uh, uh, you know, he's gonna check on what, you know, he's, he's worried about the manner of his factory. Uh, so he looks through the window of Moshe's house and he sees Ramoisha sitting with another person. And the person was mamish, not from this world. He was just shiny and the owner uh, he said, you know what, I, I really shouldn't interrupt. And so he walks away and he goes back to his home. So the next morning, uh, uh, he comes and the owner says to Reb Moshe, uh, I was worried about you last night. You know, you didn't come by from Lava Malka uh, after Shabbos. And so I went over to your house to check, you know, make sure everything's okay. And I, I, I peeked through the window and I saw you were learning with somebody. And Mamish, he was not from this world. Who, who are you sitting with? I never even saw this person before. And Reb Moshe says, I want to tell you, I was sitting with David Amelech. David Malka Meshicha. Wow. What did David Amelech tell you? He says, David Amelech said to me, I want to tell you over a Dvar Torah. The Midrash says, Matzatzi David Avdi. I found David my servant. And the Midrash says, Hecha Matzasi. Where did I find him? Besdom. In Sdom. So David Amelech came and told me that Besdom are the initials, they're Rosha Tevis, their initials, Besudas David Malka. Right? Besudas David Malka. David Amelech came to tell me 
Sorry, get a little emotional. <laughs> that whenever a Jew is eating the feast of King David, David Melech says, I'll be there. What else did he tell you? He also told me it's time for me to become a Rebbe. So Reb Moshe says, David Melech told me that tomorrow at 12 o'clock, thousands of people will suddenly come and start asking me for brachas. And of course, this Reb Moshe Chiskover became a famous Rebbe. And I presume that the whiskey factory continued to prosper. I want to add to this. It says that when Avram went to Davin, it says, He gazed onto Stom. Hashkifa is not, not looking, right? There are other words in Hebrew for to look. Vayashkef is, is like when you really see something, when you really, really perceive something. And the Midrash says, what did he see, right? He saw David Melech. He, he saw the destruction of Sdom, but he also saw that the redemption of the world is contained in Sdom. You know, if you permit me, I want to tell another little story. So, Shlomo Kalbach was a Talmud Muvak. He was one of the top students in Lakewood, uh, the Lakewood Yeshiva. Many people don't know that before Shlomo uh, came came to the world as a, a singer and, and teacher, he was one of the top yeshiva students in the United States at Lakewood, and people thought he was going to become the next Rosh Yeshiva. He was that much of a genius of a student. And Rav Aaron told Shlomo the story that he was, that one time after World War II, the chief rabbi of Tehran uh, uh, came uh, to the yeshiva for Shabbos, and everybody assumed that he would be a Sephardi Jew. Um, um, and, uh, and it's not. He was a Hasidic Jew with a strimal and white socks, and he's a Belzer Hasid. And um, so Reb Shlomo tells the story that he, he befriended this Belzer Chassid and he takes out the Noim Elimelech Marav Hashemesh Be'er Chaim, three Hasidic books, which aren't, aren't exactly contraband in Lakewood, but nobody had those books. 
And the Belzer Chassid, he says, needs only those three books. If without those books, he can't have Shabbos. And he says, oh, Mamish, you gave me back my neshama. I thought, what am I going to do here in this Misnagdashi Yeshiva without my Noim Elimelech, without my Rebeli Melech Elozhansk Torah on the, on, the, on the Parsha? They became friends. How did, he be, how did he get to Persia? How did he, or Iran, right? How did he become chief rabbi? Rav Aaron Cutler gave him tons of kavod because he had a big hand in helping to preserve uh, Judaism in, 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 in Iran. And he, and he helped really to, to keep things going. The Malava Malka, it's already one o'clock in the morning. The great rabbi, he says, I have a story. You have to hear the story. Um, and he says, I'll tell you this story, but you have to make an oath to me. It's a binding handshake. Zakiyas Kaf, it's called in, in uh, halachic speak. You have to tell the story whenever you have a chance. When my grandfather told me the story, I had to swear to him that I would tell the story. So you can only hear the story if you swear to tell the story. My grandfather's grandfather who was a chassid of Rebbe Melech, told the story to my grandfather, who also made him swear that he would tell the story. And I never understood why my grandfather was so strong in telling the story. But now after World War II, I know what he meant. So the chief rabbi says over, I'm telling you the story exactly what I heard from my grandfather. 200 years ago, in a little village near Lezhansk, Lezhansk is in, today in southeastern Poland, there was a little, uh, little village and there was a Jew named Moishele and he had a, a Kretschmer which was a little inn. And in those days, basically, Jews were not permitted to do anything, Shlomo, except die, right? That's all that the government would let a Yid do. What was a Kretschmer? The Kretschmer sold whiskey. The way that they, to explain it, the government permitted Jews to sell whiskey and nobody else. And it was, it was vodka, right? Why? Why would they do this? It was a dead business. Right, it wasn't. It was. It was a terrible business to be in, because uh, uh, um, this uh, you know peasant would walk into the into the inn and say, "Moshe, give me whiskey," and Moshe would give him whiskey. But uh, the, the this uh, uh, Ivan, as Shlom would call him, he doesn't have the money to pay. He says, "I'll pay you before I leave," but now he's drinking and he's drinking and he's drinking. And all night he's drinking like a dog, glass after glass. And Moshe says, you owe me for, uh, you know, for uh, dozens and dozens of glasses of, 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 this, uh, of this whiskey. And then the, the drunk uh, Ivan says, are you crazy? No, I didn't. I, I maybe had three or four, not dozens. And he would slap Moshe on the face. And what's Moshe going to do? Uh, so Ivan would pay him for three or four glasses, but he drank 10 or 20. And... Uh, uh, all the 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 Nebuch, these uh, these inns were always having trouble paying uh, their bills. And who were their bills? The, they were on land owned by the poets, by a nobleman, and they were always in financial uh, uh, difficulties. And uh, so, what would this uh, nobleman, the poets, do? He would maybe send him away, he'd get him killed, or he'd throw him in prison. It was terrible. 
So this Moishele hadn't paid rent in two years. And this uh, Poritz says, uh, Moishele, uh, um, today is Monday. And if by next Monday you don't pay the rent, I'm going to kill you. What's Moishe, what's he going to do? So he comes home to his wife and he tells him, what are we going to do? If we don't pay the rent and we don't have the money to pay the rent. So she says, I want you to know, I heard from some neighbors that there's this great Rebbe by the name of, of Melech. Go to him, write on a piece of paper what you need and he, and he helps you out. Please, we have no other choice. You know, we've got no money. So at least try to go get some help from this Melech guy. Okay, so Moshele was, uh, you know, he was a very uh, un, uncultured uh, uh, guy. He, he didn't know much, uh, but he knew how to write a little bit. He, he and obviously, he, every, every, uh, learned, all the Jewish kids learned how to write a little bit. So he took a big piece of paper, uh, as big as he had, and he wrote in big letters, Melech, I can't pay the rent, help me. And uh, he has one pair of shoes, but he didn't want to use them uh, he didn't want to wear out his shoes. So he, he hangs the shoes over his neck and he walks barefoot from his village to Lejeance to see this Rebeli Melech with the big piece of paper under his arm. And on the way, he meets up with the Chavraya Kedisha, a holy group of, of students uh, 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 of Hasidus, the, who are the, today, we, their names are famous. The Jose from Lublin, the Seer of Lublin, uh, Remendel Rimenover. And the Heilige Rapshitzer and the Chavrai Kedisha, they saw this uh, Yid walking along and they see, what's this guy doing? The seer of Lublin, the Jose says, hey, where are you going? And he says, I'm going to Melech. Ah, we're all going to Melech. And tell me, what do you have under your arm? I have a private letter to Melech. Um, and the letter, the seer of Lublin says, uh, can I see the, can I see the letter? Uh, I really don't want to show it to you, uh, but since you ask, I'll show it to you. So everybody knows that the Jose from Lublin, uh, he had vision, and it says, you know, someone says he could see from one end of the world to the other, uh, and he really can read things. In other words, he has unbelievable insight, and he can see things that are happening far away. And he says, Moshe, listen to me, Moshe, next Monday, don't show your face in the street because if the poet sees you, if your landlord sees you, he's going to kill you. Do not go into the street. Moshele says, what kind of chutzpah? You're giving me advice? I don't even know you. I'm on my way to Melech. He'll tell me what to do. So he's getting angry. And the three tzaddikim are right behind him. And they go all the way, follow him to Lezhensk. And they want to see what's going to happen. Moshele runs right in to uh, the, uh, the, the room. And all three are behind her. Uh, behind him into uh, Rebeli Melech's uh, office. And he takes out the piece of paper, he says, Melech, read my letter. Rebbe's are so holy. Uh, 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 when they read a letter, Yiddish we call them Kfitlach, they see what's written on the letter, but they also know what it doesn't say. So Rebeli Melech gives a little sign to the Jose from Lublin, and, uh, and he says, hey, Yankiv Yitzchak, you read this letter already. <laughs> he, could tell, he could tell that he wasn't the first one reading the letter. And then he says, Moshe, listen to me. Listen to me with all your heart. Listen every word I'm going to tell you. When the nobleman comes to ask you to stay, tell him you cannot stay unless he gives you 10,000 rubles. This is Meshuggah, Moshe yells at Rebeli Melech. 
The nobleman will kill me. I haven't paid my rent in two years. What do you mean? If the nobleman asks me to stay, uh, um, uh, 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 tell him I won't leave unless he, I won't stay unless he gives me 10,000 rubles. Melech, you're Meshugana, you're crazy. And he runs out of the room. He goes back to his village uh, and he tells his wife, what a waste of time. These crazy people, and, and Shlomo said, these holy hippies, you know, this Rebelech, he read my letter, he gives me advice, and the Rebbe, he's totally Meshugger. I told him that the nobleman wants to kill me because I didn't pay the rent. And you know what the nobleman tells me? That I should tell him, the nobleman, to give me 10,000 rubles uh, uh, to stay. Meshuggah. So Ramoshla forgets the whole thing. He blocks out the whole episode of, of going to Rebeli Melech. And on Monday, you know, he goes back to, uh, uh, on his way, he's, he's making his way like he does every Monday. He's going to go to the market and then go to his job. He goes out onto the street. The nobleman comes on a horse. He's got a whip in his hand. And he says, Moishik, where's the rent? Oh, have Rachmanis on me, have compassion on me. I don't have it. The nobleman gets off his horse and starts whipping Moshe with his whip. And, and he's whipping him and whipping him. And Moshe can't get up. And, and he's, he's, he's not even moving. He can't even walk. He's got blood streaming down from his face. And uh, after a while, unbelievably, miraculously, uh, uh, he managed to uh, get up after this horrible beating, and he made his way home. Now, uh, open your hearts. Open your hearts to this. Rip Shlomo says, even in Germany, every Nazi had one Jew they liked. Because you have to cover up all the hatred. So the wife of the nobleman had one Jew that she liked, and it was Moishik. Why did she like him? In those days, you know, the, the Poritz, or the Poritz's wife, she had a, a Jew who would get him bargains. Moishe would go, because uh, the nobleman lived in a big uh, you know, palace out in the countryside. Moshe would go around the city and come back to the wife of the nobleman and uh, get her good deals on apples and other kinds of things. Moshe would get her good deals on, on stuff, and she was always uh, uh, happy with, uh, with this Moshe guy. Even would get her other, you know, uh, other things. She'd say, oh, keep an eye out for this, that. Okay. So two days later, the wife of the nobleman says, hey, you know, Moishik hasn't been around. And the nobleman says, oh, that Moishik uh, you, uh, you like? I think he's dead. I think I killed him. What? What? You want to kill Jews? Fine. But don't kill my Jew. Don't kill my Moishik. He gets me the best deals. So the nobleman sees he might have made a mistake. And he says, well, maybe he's alive. What do you mean he may be alive? You better go and go, go figure out what's going on with Moshe. I, I want that guy around. What's the nobleman going to do? His wife is yelling at him. 
So he gets, uh, gets up and he puts a sack of potatoes on the back of his horse and he heads back into town. And he says, I'm going to make up with Moshe. So he's on his way to see uh, Moshe. And uh, Moshe is hiding in his house. And he sees the nobleman coming and he thinks, oh, now he's coming to really kill me. He's coming to finish the job. He barricades himself in the house. And the nobleman's knocking on his door. Moshe doesn't answer. His wife and, his, and he are just shivering. The nobleman isn't stupid. And he realizes that Moshe now realizes he's going to kill him. So he yells to do, Moshe, I'm not coming to kill you. I'm actually coming to ask you to stay. And all of a sudden, he remembers what Reb Moshe, excuse me, what Reb Elimelech told him. And he says, I can only stay if you give me 10,000 rubles, because there's no way you can ever pay me back for, for, the, for, for, the, for the beating that you gave me. And if you give me 10,000 rubles, I can get my business back into action, and then I can pay you the rent. So the nobleman says, okay, I'll give you 10,000 rubles. Just open the door. Unbelievable, right? So he gives Moshe 10,000 rubles and Moshe figures out a way to make the business prosperous. And he builds it up and he, he makes a whole big business for himself. He's got a wagon and he's got horses and he's got a few pair of shoes. And one day, you know, his wife says, you know, we never thanked Rebbe Elimelech, uh, you know, for all the bracha that he gave us. So he puts his wife and children in the wagon and potatoes and chickens and salads. And he puts all these gifts and things in the, in the wagon for Rebbe Elimelech. And he walks and he, he goes over to, to Lezhansk and he goes into Rebbe Elimelech. He says, Melech, it worked out. And all the Chosev Lublin was there again. And you have to open your hearts here, says Reb Shlomo. And there they're seeing this schlepper who now is all dressed in nice clothing, looking great. And the Heilige Rebeli Melech says, to the Seer of Lublin, says, you see the difference between you and me? You and I both see. You only saw what took place until the hitting, but I saw after the hitting. So the rabbi of Persia said, now it's clear to me what my grandfather meant. What we all have to do. He saw Avinu after the hitting. We have to be able to see what's down the road. Everybody have a beautiful Shabbos. Thank you so much for allowing me to tell over this favorite story from Shlomo. This is such a powerful and beautiful story. Thank you, Rabbi. Good Shabbos, everyone. Good Shabbos, good Shabbos. Good Shabbos. Thank you, Rabbi. Good Shabbos. Yeah, thank you for your Good Shabbos. Good Shabbos. We'll see everybody on Monday for class, for our, our, our Shulchan Aruch class. Thank you. Shabbos, good Shabbos. Thank you for listening to the Sfasemis podcast. 
If you enjoy this class, please share it with your friends. We're now available wherever Anchor podcasts are available. Shabbat Shalom. Good Shabbos.